0: Good morning again. This morning, as you can see from the corner of your screen, I want to talk about the role models that we have in our lives and in our worlds. When you think of the idea of a role model, an individual, we think of them as people that we like to emulate, to copy. People who we want to follow in some way or another, whether it's their success, it's their morality, their style, even their fashion sense. That's what a role model is. Today, however, we have a problem with role models. You hear it all the time. People accusing or yelling at celebrities, athletes who may have done something inappropriate with uh, another uh, person of the opposite sex or with uh, illegal narcotics. And you often hear moms say things like this. You're a role model. You need to be a better example to the children, to the fans who look up to you. And the problem for me isn't that they aren't acting in a way that is appropriate for kids or those that follow them. The problem is that they are considered role models in the first place. You see, our society automatically places celebrities in the position of role model rather than making those who should be role models celebrities. We want to follow who's popular. We want to follow the rich and famous, and we make them role models, even though they don't have anything to follow in terms of morality, for example, and then we try to make them moral or pressure them to be moral. And we even see how a lot of celebrities get in trouble because they aren't being right role models, and yet, according to their standards and even the law, they've done nothing wrong. The problem is that just because they're famous, people want to follow them, and they're place in the position of role model. But isn't that just the way of the world? In the church, too, we have certain role models that we should follow and have certain role models that we shouldn't follow. In fact, even in Scripture, there are many people, even nations, that are set forth for us by God as examples to warn us, as examples of people not to follow the disobedience of Israel as a nation, the The Pharisees, the scribes who Jesus condemns and were trying to attack Jesus and ultimately put him to death. As if we didn't have enough problems with our sins of pride and materialism and worldliness, we have people all around us who extol these negative role models due to social values. This is what the world wants. This is what the culture is all about. And so we, in turn, even as Christians, we want to follow these people, even when we know better. And so this morning, I want to ask you this question. Who is your role model? Who do you follow? I don't mean who you would tell me as your pastor who your role model is. I mean, if you were to honestly evaluate your heart and your life, your thinking and your actions, who do you want to be more like? Who do you envy? Who do you wish you were? Who do you follow on your Google alerts or on uh, social media or even celebrity gossip? Or perhaps even more to the point, who has the most influence on your values and your behavior? Is it someone from Scripture? Is it Jesus himself? Or is it a tech giant? Or is it, your favorite basketball player or actor or actress or model. Over the next two or three weeks, we will be unpacking this passage that will help us answer that question properly so that when we say who is our role model, the answer is the right answer. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13, and we'll be looking at the, at this passage this morning as well as uh, for sure next week and possibly the week after. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. Let me read that for you. Paul writes to the Corinthians, You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all, As men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Well, as I mentioned before reading this passage, these verses will help us answer the question, who is your role model? On one hand, it may reveal who your role models truly are because I think oftentimes what we do is we know that we are to follow Jesus Christ and he has given us examples, not only in Scripture but in Christians around us. But we take cues from the world and, of course, to a certain degree, that is okay. We we want to be a good testimony. We want to be good stewards. We want to use our money wisely. We want to dress appropriately. We want to have homes and families and jobs. But I think you understand that When we have a worldly individual as a role model, it is because we want to be as successful as they are, as popular, as pretty, as handsome, dress as well, whatever it may be. And we will answer this question as we go through this passage in regards to six different areas of life, six specific areas of life that Paul addresses here as he speaks to the Corinthians and rebukes them. And so our outline this morning and for the following weeks is six critical areas of life. Six critical areas of life that are determined by whom you choose to follow. And that is very important. Because you will see that these six areas that we'll look at over the next few weeks are 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 core areas of your life, core areas of your spiritual walk. And they are determined by who you choose to follow. And I'm not talking about Jesus. Of course we follow Jesus. We are born again. If you're truly a Christian, the Spirit resides in you, you follow Him. What I'm talking about is role models on earth or in history. This morning, we will look at the first two critical areas of life that are determined by whom you choose to follow. The first is spirituality. Spirituality. Let me read for you again verse 8. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us, and indeed, I wish that you had had become kings, so that we also might reign with you. What you're going to see in this passage is that Paul uh, uses for a uh, n- not just for his for his own ego. We know that's not true. Not not to shame or belittle the Corinthians, which we'll clarify uh, after this passage. But he uses irony and sarcasm to drive home the point, to emphasize uh, the, the foolishness of the Corinthians' thinking. And it's if you look at verse 8, it's not that the Corinthians are actually kings or even in any way superior to the apostles. He is sarcastically addressing the sin of pride that the Corinthians are exhibiting. And so you would probably do the same thing if you were going to use irony and especially if you were going to use sarcasm to address pride, you would probably do something similar and, and sarcastically talk about how great these people are to highlight the fact that they aren't. Well, let's dive into the text. He starts by saying, you have been filled, or you have all you want in the ESV and NIV. And the word, the phrase means to be satisfied with food, to have enough, to be satiated, to com- to be completely stuffed. Uh, this is actually a picture of farm animals, which you understand that farm animals are very different than animals in the wild in that they are often overfed. And so you picture uh, an animal on the farm, uh, which would be much larger than an animal, that same animal, were it to be in the wild. You, say, you see the same thing with pets, for example. And so this is the idea. Uh, if, it, if it hurts a little, as I explained this, it should. It's the idea of after having a, a really big meal where you're already full and it's just so good that you eat a little more. It hurts a little. But here's the idea that Paul is bringing out when he says this. He's basically saying, what more could you want? What more could you want? And this is the idea to the Corinthians. You have everything you want, as the ESV and NIV translate it. In fact, Paul continues in the verse and says, you have so much that you are kings without us. And, of course, in that context and to, to a certain degree in our context today, a king is the highest. There's, there's no higher that you can go on the earthly realm. And so you have everything that you want. Now, of course, in this context, Paul is speaking of the spiritual, not not physical food or physical uh, possessions. And what he's saying is that the Corinthians are acting so superior that they really are acting as if they need nothing else from Paul or even God. The Corinthians are acting so conceited, it's as if that they have become spiritual kings with no need for their pastors, teachers, and apostles. And even though these people have been instrumental in their lives, they're acting as if they did it on their own. And the point draws from all that Paul has been teaching them that we've seen so far uh, in 1 Corinthians. Right? We saw that the apostles are humble servants of God. The reality of Christian service and Christianity in general is the fact of serving another individual, namely God. And then after that, and because of that, we then serve others, which specifically is, well, others, everyone, Christian and non-Christian. And so when you understand that your role and the Corinthians' role and Paul's role and Apollos's and Peter's and even Jesus when he was here on earth, their role... Their very being was to serve others, be below others. There's no room for pride and arrogance in the role of Christian. We ended last week in verse 7, where Paul asked the rhetorical questions that highlight the logical response of humility in the Christian's heart and life. Uh, Look at verse 7. He says, For who regards you as superior? Rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. Next question, what do you have that you did not receive, specifically from God? Nothing. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And if you remember, he's basically reminding them that all this stuff you're bragging about, this is from the Lord, your spiritual gifts, your abilities. So you, you recognize, Corinthians, that everything's from God. So why are you acting as if you earned it? patting yourself on the back, causing division, as we know they were doing in the church. The questions that we saw in verse 7 demand a position of gratitude and humility. And the passage this morning is Paul showing the antithesis between the Corinthians and himself or all the apostles that furthers that response of gratitude and humility. Those questions and their inherent answers provide the perfect backdrop in verse 7 to what we're looking at in verse 8. Because Paul is further driving home the point of their sinful and unwarranted pride, arrogance, and conceit. They're acting as if they don't need anything else, not just from Paul or any other spiritual leader, but as I said earlier, even from God. In other words, They're acting as if they've arrived; they're there. And so, go back to the terminology that Paul uses here. You you can picture a lion. If you ever watch these nature shows, lions spend most of their time just resting. The lion, after catching and eating his prey, sitting in the field resting, he's stuffed; he has everything he needs. There is no point to exert himself trying to hunt for more food. He's fully satiated. And this is how the Corinthians are acting. Picture the king on his throne. Not a modern-day king like in the UK, but a king in that day where people were fighting and, and murdering each other to become king. And so there's this king on his throne. The battle is won. The training is done. The political maneuvering is over. He's on the throne. He's the king. Don't tell him what to do. Don't give him advice. Don't treat him like a commoner. Don't even treat him like a prince. He is the king. He has no need for anyone else. He's arrived. He has no need. And when you take these illustrations into the spiritual realm, as Paul is, there is an an, an implication that the Corinthians are acting as if they've already received their crowns from God that we don't receive until the end of time. They're acting as if they've already received their reward. So, like the resting lion and the king on his throne, why keep striving? There's no need for the Christian who's arrived, who's already gotten the well-done, good and faithful servant, to continue striving and battling sin in a desire to serve and glorify God. You're done. There's nothing else. You are you have everything you want. You're a king. And what's more, the Corinthians are acting as if they were able to achieve all of this without the apostles. That's equivalent of us saying all of this without our pastors, without our disciples, without the scriptures. They didn't need Paul to preach the gospel to them. At least they're acting that way. They didn't need a Paulist to teach them. They're acting as if they've achieved it all themselves. But the key is they didn't. But they're acting like they did. And, and probably none of them would say that they've arrived. None of them would say we don't need further teaching. We don't need the scriptures. But they're acting like it. And Paul is emphasizing what pride is saying, in essence, when you act this way. And extreme as these pictures may be, I think we would all agree that these are appropriate uh, explanations or illustrations of pride. This is what it looks like. This is how it acts. This is what it says. Pride wants to take the credit. Pride wants to serve and not, or rather wants to be served and not serve. Pride wants to fight and divide because you're the best. So if someone else says they're a king, someone else says they've arrived, then you will fight them on that. And, and it's not that Paul is wanting the credit. He's not saying, you need to acknowledge that I've hel- how much I've helped you. And we know this from how he describes himself, namely a servant and a steward. And he'll draw more on that in, in, in the following verses. He's just trying to emphasize for them that they need to pursue humility and on the specific level, stop dividing the church. So let's make a logical connection here. If Paul is a humble servant, but the Corinthians are kings, then not only are the Corinthians acting as if they didn't need Paul, but they are acting as if without Paul they were able to achieve an even higher status than Paul, a greater wisdom than Paul and the apostles. That's the problem. And again, If that's the case, you can imagine how they would look down upon Paul. And even those who are claiming the faction of Paul would probably do the same, because as we've seen all along, claiming a faction of anyone is just another way to feed your own pride. Now, as Christians today, we may not call ourselves kings or queens. We may not disregard or cut out the people that have been influential in our lives, those who are integral parts of your testimony. But we do act sometimes as if we are smarter than others, better than others. We don't need them anymore. And I know, you you know, the the, the gut reaction to this is to say, you know what, Roger, I don't really think that way. I, I don't really do that. Sure you do. The the Corinthians would say the same thing, that they're not doing that. But we do it all the time. Every time you feel compelled to give unsolicited advice, every time you feel the need to correct someone else, every time you judge another person, look down on another person, see a difference between you and another person without recognizing God's grace and provision, whether it lifts you up or puts you down, that is all pride. And here's the problem when we do that, as the Corinthians did. When it comes to spiritual role models, we are either choosing the world or we are choosing the apostles. The world says to be self-made, to be self-confident. The world is confused when the scriptures call pride a sin. The world says step on others for your own wealth and advancement and even comfort And then when asked, take all the credit. The world says, get what you want, how you want it, so long as you are comfortable, so long as you get what you want, regardless of how it makes other people feel or even how it makes them live. The apostles, on the other hand, it's very simple. They humbly bow and say, word up to me, I'd be dead damned, or destroyed, but God. But don't take my word for it. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll look exactly at what Paul believes, thinks, and lives. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He explains that outside of God, who he was, who we all are, who the Corinthians are, And if there's any a time that you forget grace, that you don't appreciate the gospel, that you get proud, go to Ephesians chapter 2, my favorite chapter in the Bible. Let me start in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all, All of us formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And just a point of clarification in verse 3, if you say, well, I really never struggled with, with sexual lust before, that's not all it's talking about. Any desire, sinful desire for anything, and all unbelievers have it whether it's something physical like like money or or a family or a home or or even popularity or friends or even no friends so that you can be alone. Any sinful desire indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature, in other words, at birth, by our very essence, at our very core. There's nothing we could do about it. We were children, not of grace, not of mercy, but of Wrath. Every single human being that has ever lived. Children of wrath. We were in the crosshairs of God's sniper rifle. And verses 1 through 3 talks about just how utterly hopeless all men are without Christ. And that, that is what happens when you don't have God or his people. Do it on your own. And verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2 is who you are. You are spiritually dead. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, as we just saying, even as we were sinking down, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. See, when we choose the world as our role model for spirituality, we are missing the blessing Christ promises for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, look at the terminology. In, in In the Beatitudes, Jesus Christ says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the Corinthians, Paul is saying the Corinthians are the opposite of hungering and thirsting. They are full. They are full. And that perhaps highlights a, another issue here that we've kind of mentioned already, that if you're full, you think you have everything you need for righteousness' sake, you're not going to hunger for it. You're not going to wake up and say, I wish I hadn't done that last, last night. I need to pray. I need to search the scriptures. I need to repent. I need to change my behavior. You're not going to do that because you've already arrived. There's also an inherent ignorance when you act like the Corinthians of the fact that suffering precedes glory. Suffering precedes glory. There's there's no need for this perfecting, this refining through trials that God gives us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. That speaks of this point. 16 through 18 of Romans 8. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What suffering? What suffering with Christ? If you have everything you want, if you're full, if you're a king, there is no suffering. There shouldn't be any suffering. Why would God do this? I've already arrived. I'm perfect. Why train if I'm the best athlete there is? Why eat if I'm already full? Why try to cheat my brothers out of the throne if I'm already on the throne? But what's more, look at the next section of Romans 8. Look at verse 19. And this speaks of non-humans, all creation. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Jump to verse 23. And not only this. But also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. This is talking about the final consummation of our salvation in the end times when Christ comes again. But again, for the Corinthians, for the proud, there's no longing, there's no groaning, there's no eager anticipation and waiting because they've arrived. Or at least that's how they behave. And again, I would imagine if you were to ask the Corinthians, they would say, of course we haven't arrived. We need more. We need more teaching. But it's not about what we would say. We know our theology. We know what to say. It's how you are acting day by day. And that's why I say over and over again, who you are when you're alone is who you are. When I'm talking to you, you're going to say the right things to your pastor. You're going to say the right things to other Christians. Well, what do you think about me and other people? What do you think about the world? What do you think about your situation? What do you think about Trump? What do you think about COVID-19? What do you think about John MacArthur and what he's doing? Is it bitter? Is it gossipy? Is it negative in in your heart of hearts, in your own mind? That's who you are. Again, you wouldn't say you've arrived, but you're acting like it look at how he ends the verse back in 1 Corinthians. I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. I believe he's actually dropping the sarcasm for a bit. And he says, look, I wish we were in the millennial kingdom. We could all reign together and we wouldn't have to strive and suffer and sin in this life. But the reality, Paul says, is we aren't. I want it as much as you want it. But Corinthians, you're acting like you're there, but nobody's there. And so for us this morning, I want to ask you, how are you living? Do you look more like the world in your view of your spirituality or more like Paul? Do you treat others as if you're the king that you've arrived? Or do you see yourself as a work in progress in desperate need of further aid from your Savior and his people? Who's your role model in your spirituality? The world? The Corinthians? Yes, the Corinthians were believers, but they were following worldly wisdom. Or is it the Apostle Paul? Let's look at a second critical area of life that's determined by whom you choose to follow, and that is status. Status. Look at verse 9. Again, he's speaking about the Apostles, for I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Paul is speaking of the low status that he and the other apostles have. This is, of course, a reference to his role as a servant and steward, but understand that this was also a time in where they were persecuted and even martyred for their faith and for what they were doing also because they were following what the world considered foolishness. On the surface, this is what we're reading. Now, Paul is calling himself and the apostles the last, the basest, the lowest of the low, so much so that they are condemned. They are destined to die for the world to see. Uh, This is not just an analogy uh, to say this is how low we are, that we could just be killed and the world would just think it's funny. But more to the point, the picture and specifically the grammar that gives us this picture that Paul is using is that of the gladiators arena. Thanks to Hollywood and historians and if you've ever had the privilege of visiting the Colosseum in Rome with a, an experienced tour guide. On the side note, a little tip, a lot of those those young looking people outside the Colosseum that look like they're scammers. A lot of them are, are actually students getting their PhDs in, in history. And so they do that to, to make a buck, and they will give you a really good tour. But because of all of these, we have somewhat of an idea of what this would entail, right? Of course, there was the Colosseum in Rome, but there were, would be smaller amphitheaters all over the, uh, the, the, Roman, uh, the Roman Empire. We know that there was a significant one in Corinth, and so this was really hit home uh, to these readers. And when Paul says that God has exhibited or displayed, he's actually using a technical word that they would use back then for bringing a person into the arena to fight or be killed. And the picture here is a, a great pageant or parade. It's It's arena time. And so all the people would come, and before they would take their seats, or even if they were already in their seats, All the people who would be in the arena floor over the next few hours would be paraded. There would be this pageant, and it would be professional gladiators in the front. There would be animals in cages. There would be prisoners, and there would be criminals, all walking in procession into the ring and into their holding cells before their time to fight. And at the end of the parade were those who were part of the grand finale. So just as the grand finale comes at the end of the show, so too in this procession into the ring, the people watching would know the people at the very end of the parade were going to be those in the grand finale. And if you've ever experienced a grand finale, you know that it is what it says. It is not just the ending, but it's a big ending, more spectacular than anything you've seen throughout the show before the grand finale. A multi artist concert, for example, leaves the most famous, most popular band for the end. If you've seen a fireworks show, you know it's over when they shoot two, three, five, ten times as many fireworks at one time that they have up until that point, thus signaling the grand finale. For the Roman amphitheater, the grand finale was the bloodiest and the goriest. It was those who were sure to be killed. In the arena. And these, of course, would be the lowest of the low. The criminals who, upon fighting to the death, being destroyed by professional gladiators or mauled by animals, would, in the crowd's opinion, leave society no worse off. In fact, perhaps better off now that they're dead. Oftentimes, again, these would be criminals that they would want to get rid of, anyways. And this, Paul says, is the apostles last in the procession condemned to death to be seen only as a spectacle of struggle failure disgrace and death worth nothing more than to be a source of amusement public theater and the more gruesome and painful their death the more entertaining the louder the cheers Now, again, please note that Paul is not merely speaking of his own life and ministry, but of all the apostles. All of them are seen by the Corinthians as they are seen by the world. Worthless teachers contributing nothing to society as their wisdom from God is considered foolishness to the world. Enough, Paul. Enough, Peter. The world tells us how we can be rich and famous. We don't need this servant and stewardship stuff. So, imagine this picture. Hours and hours of fighting. There they are, the apostles, waiting underneath the stage in their cages. For hours listening to the roar of the crowds, the cracking of bones, the tearing of flesh. Knowing that they, the low-status criminals that they are treated like, are to be the great and final show as they are slaughtered. Finally, the time comes. The Roman soldiers come down the aisle. The cell doors open. Their chains rattle to the ground. And they are shoved into the middle of the arena. They've been underground in the dark and damp for hours. And so they block their eyes from the harsh sunlight. Dizzy and confused with thousands of people. The thunderous roar all around them. And just as the grand finale, their deaths are to take place. Their eyes have finally adjusted. Their bodies have found their bearings and they look around them and lounging in the best seats of the house are the Corinthians, cheering and applauding with not so much as a frown or a boo because the apostles are last and the Corinthians are kings. And I know, I know you would rather be in the crowd than on the arena floor, because I would too. Of course, Paul is speaking figuratively here, but it speaks clearly and vividly of the reality of the status of the apostles, as opposed to the status of those who pursue the world. Nonfiguratively, the apostles truly were spit on. They were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were mocked. They were treated like criminals. Many of them condemned to death at the hands of others for their faith, martyred. Who do you want to follow? The comfy Corinthians in the crowd or the apostles? Do you want social status or heavenly status? you want to be liked and respected by the world or mocked and degraded because of your beliefs? Here's the reality. We live in the United States of America and you will not be killed for your faith anytime soon, at least for now. But here's the thing about the apostles. What's most important is not that they died as martyrs, It's that they were willing to. Not as some noble gesture in the eyes of the church or onlookers, but as criminals, as the lowly, spit upon like their Savior as they were killed. So, my question for you is how important is status to you? How important is it to be popular? or unoffensive in the eyes of your co-workers and friends. Speaking of the amphitheater, Paul's not even speaking of himself. He he knew that he would most likely not die in that way. But the point is that there is a difference in society regarding those who actively pursue righteousness in the eyes of God versus those who just follow the world. So who's your role model? You wouldn't see it on the surface a lot in California in 2020. On the surface, we look the same. But here's some questions or some areas of li- your life that can help you gauge how important status is to you in society. How much do you struggle with the fear of man? That's going to give you a very clear answer to how much you uphold status in the eyes of unbelievers. And if you don't struggle with the fear of man, you can answer this question about status by looking at your priorities. What do you prioritize? Job, success, happiness, or God's glory and joy at all costs. And remember, joy and happiness are very different. Happiness and sadness, they they are changing with your ever-changing circumstances, but joy is based on your never-changing God, which is why someone can mourn and be sad and have joy at the same time. And so you really need to ask yourself what your priorities are. We all work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. That's normal. This is not a call to quit your job, but how do you view your job? Why do you want a job? Why are you still working? All of these questions answer how important status is to you. You would tell me, again, there's a difference between what you feel and think and what you would tell me. I'm sure many of you would tell tell me, I do it because I want to glorify God. Of course, praise God. And I don't doubt that that's true. But you really need to dig deep and see if there's part of you that is driven by something else money success maybe it's just a trying to show your parents that they were wrong maybe it's just to show that manager that he's wrong pride and even if it's for money there are good reasons for money but then even if your motivations are god-honoring when it comes to actually spending that money where's where's your view on status there yeah, I need to work more so I can support more missionaries. And then comes time to write that check. And, well, I've been shopping online more because shelter in place and all these things catch your eye. And you know where I'm going with this. It may not be any of those. But you have to ask yourself, what's your view of status and who's your role model when it comes to status? I started this morning by defining a role model. Right, We all know what it is. Someone whose behavior is worthy of imitation. People we should be following. And that's why we have that problem that I mentioned when we began with people saying, you're a role model, stop doing such and such. A role model is someone that we should follow. But here's the problem. That's actually not the definition of a role model. A role model, per Webster's Dictionary, is a person whose behavior in particular is imitated by others. Did you catch that? Not should be imitated, not is worthy to be imitated, but a role model is simply someone who is imitated by others. And the world, the Corinthians, should not be imitated, nor are they worthy to be imitated, but we imitate them. We imitate them. We imitate the world. We imitate Silicon Valley. We imitate Hollywood. So who's your role model? Is it the world? Or is it the apostles? In regards to spirituality. In regards to status. 1 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. You are already filled You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us as apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for such good role models primarily in you, your Son, Jesus Christ. And even on a more practical way, we have the role models of people like the Apostle Paul. And Father, I pray that we would seek your glory in whom we follow. I thank you that we can be in a place where you have given us so much to enjoy. You have provided us not just enough to pay the bills, but more. We have roofs over our head. We have soft beds. We have more than one change of clothing we have food and can go out to eat once in a while we have internet electricity heat air conditioning we have healthy children and food to feed our children all of these things lord but lord we know that it is just one false step into making the world and the comforts of the world our role model and so father i pray that we would follow those who are worthy to be followed in the Christian faith and that we would truly evaluate our lives and that you would use our spirit to reveal to us what areas we need to repent of, what areas that we need to stop or continue doing but change our perspective so that we do those things for your glory. Help us to never forget our primary purpose in this world, which is to glorify you and not to seek worldly pleasures and comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing.